With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Before we dive into the show this week, we've got Dan Bobkoff here, and he's the host of Business Insider's new podcast, Household Name. It's launching next Wednesday on July 25th. Dan, tell us about the show. All right. So let me ask you a question. What do you think the origin story of TGI Fridays is? I don't know. Maybe like just a, a local pub, local bar, like an Applebee's type of thing. Like that's what I thought until we started making this show and we learned that TGI Fridays is actually a product of the sexual revolution and is quite possibly the first or at least among the very first singles bars in America. That's Weird, one story. Yeah. And so the show is called Household Name. Our slogan is Brands You Know, Stories You Don't. And uh, we have a whole lot more episodes coming up in the next few weeks. You'll hear about the last blockbusters and how they've survived. Uh, you've probably heard of Two Buck Chuck Wine at Trader Joe's, but the story of the real man behind it is something else. And we have a lot more coming in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, that sounds great. Where can we find it? So the show comes out on July 25th, but we're already up on Apple Podcasts. So you can just search for Household Name and subscribe there. Awesome. Can't wait to listen. Thank you. Thanks, Dan. And uh, we have actually a special trailer for the show that we'll listen to at the end of this episode. Stick around for that. And now, the show. For Ryan Serhant, this is success. It's not about money. It's not about lifestyle. It's not about building a bigger team or anything. It's that I set goals for myself, and I write them down every year. And if I hit those goals, I've been successful that year. From Business Insider, I'm Rich Filoni. Ryan Serhant moved to New York City when he was 22, hoping to launch his acting career. When that dream didn't pan out, he found a different route into show business as a real estate agent. Sirhan is now the star of Bravo's reality TV show Million Dollar Listing, but he's also one of the best real estate agents in the country. The Sirhan team is ranked number one by sales volume in New York City and number two in the entire country. Come September, he'll also be a published author. I had a chance to read a copy of his upcoming book, Sell It Like Sirhan, and it's full of sales tactics anyone can use in their career. People don't want to be sold, but they love shopping with friends. If you can remember that, it'll change the way you go into any sales pitch for the rest of your life. And you won't put on your salesperson's hat. You won't walk up to someone and say, can I help you with something? You'll start every conversation the way you did the first time you met your best friend, right? And every friend we have at one point in time started as a stranger, but then we met them and we became friends with them. 
and people like shopping with their friends and they will spend money. So if you just remember that people hate being sold, but they love shopping with friends, you will change your sales game. What do you think it is about like your personality that drove you into to sales? Oh man. I mean, I was not born a salesperson whatsoever. I think a lot of people watch Million Dollar Listing or watch Seller Like Serhant. And I think what people's mindset was of me based on what they see on Bravo, which is young, successful, money, 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 money. <laughs> but that's what people like to see on the show. But I, I was the shyest, weirdest, most awkward <laughs> kid ever growing up. And it was the last thing in the world I thought I would ever do. Like if you had told 10-year-old me I would grow up to be a real estate broker in New York City, I probably would have thought that you were on crack or something. <laughs> like it made no sense. But when I moved to New York City to be an actor, which didn't work out, and then I hand modeled, which worked out, but I didn't want to be a professional hand model the rest hand of my model. life. How did you find those gigs? Well, hand modeling happened because someone saw a headshot of mine where I had like my hand up on my chin <laughs> and an agent called me and was like, hey, AT&T wants to see you. I was like, oh, wow, awesome. Like a modeling gig. That would be great. They're like, well, sort of. It's for your hands. I was like, for my hands? What are you talking about? Yeah. I was like, like George Costanza? Um, <laughs> or like David you know, Duchovny from Zoolander or something like that? And they're like, yeah. yeah, 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 but it's a big business. And so I went into this casting call for AT&T when they were doing this ad campaign where they were painting people's hands to look like different countries and then holding blackberries in the middle of them. Long story short, they really liked my hands. And I that paid my rent for a long time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I... It was very, very socially awkward and very, very weird, but I was forced because my back was up against a wall. I was forced to to develop a thicker skin and to come out of my shell and really try to create a personality that was okay with talking to strangers, which totally freaked me out when I first moved to New York. And I think that that kind of ability of mine to just go up to anybody on the street and ask them their name and how they're doing without feeling any shame whatsoever has really helped me in my sales business. Well, how did you start that in the first place? I was broke. It's very important for kind of all people who are commission-based, who are incentive-based that way, to really figure out what their wall is, right? I call it the four W's, your work, your win, your why, and your wall. And that wall is really important. So for me, I was trying to act in the city. I was doing a lot of free theater. I was playing a clock. I was playing random stuff on like, the West Side. What do you mean I was in a free play that was like off, 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 off Broadway in a basement in Union Square where I literally I played a clock in like this <laughs> rendition of Edgar Allan Poe stories. And so I stood there for like half an hour with my hands going tick, tuck, tick, tuck. It was like the worst. It oh, was wow. so hard. That's not a good role. No, it's not a good role. But it was New York City. You know, yeah. it was it was the word Broadway was in there somewhere. Um and I just ran out of money. You know, I ran out of money. I didn't want to get a quote unquote survival job, meaning that I didn't want to wait tables or bartend because then I'd be stuck doing that. I knew a lot of actors in the city who were 50 years old and still on their survival job, right? Which then isn't a survival job. I mean, that's now your job job. And now you're trying to act as a hobby because you get too used to paying your bills. And I didn't want to do that. So I literally pushed myself to the point where I just ran out of money and had my debit card declined at Food Emporium on 59th Street trying to buy a pack of tofu and, um, and then cried on the subway. And that was my wall, right? That was like that moment for the rest of my life that I wanted to run away from as hard as possible. And I had to be shameless about it. So 
I got my real estate license because a friend told me to. And my first day in the business was September 15th, 2008. So that was the day Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy. And that I just doesn't went. sound like a, a, a good time to get into real estate. <laughs> in hindsight, it was the best time. At the time, it was probably the worst time ever. But you know, I say in hindsight because a lot of people got out of the business because they had a lifestyle to uphold. Right? They knew the business when it was good. And then if all of a sudden you stop doing deals and stop making money, how are you going to pay your mortgage? How are you going to make your car payments? How are you going to put your kids through that private school? You had nothing right? to lose. I had nothing. I had no money. Yeah. So all these brokers were getting out of the business and I was like by myself and I had nothing to lose. So I went into the Starbucks on 49th and Madison and talked to people. I, you know, I would go up to pregnant women and I would ask them if they needed more space. Like I would go up <laughs> to people coming out of Saks Fifth Avenue because our office is right there. Yep. And if they had more than two shopping bags, I'd go up to them and ask them if they wanted to invest in real estate just because I, I had nothing to lose. And if I completely failed in New York City, it meant I had to move home to Colorado and paint fence for the rest of my life. And that was hell to me. <laughs> I mean, if you're being motivated by fear, does that ever become, did it ever feel toxic in a way? Sure. It's a mixture, right? You kind of ride, and I think everyone rides this seesaw every day of fear on one side and confidence on the other. And you can't sit and just hold the seesaw down on one end of the seesaw because if you're just afraid all the time, you're never going to do anything. And the flip side, if you're just totally confident all the time, you're going to be an asshole and no one's going to ever want to work with you. So you have to find that balance of where the fear in you to succeed pushes you enough to find a confidence to do what you need to do every single day to over time become successful. Right? And the definition of success then changes because it becomes relative. Like success to me when I first got into the business was paying my rent on time. It was like 1100 bucks a month every month. If I could do that and maybe like save a month's worth of rent, I was a I was a freaking success. Now things have changed. And so I used that fear of not having money and needing to make money, but I balanced it out with this kind of confidence of building my personality and coming out of my shell and kind of treating it like an acting job, like an improv class. Everyone I met, you know, I was going to adapt to the way they wanted to see me and I was going to sell them real estate even though I had no idea what I was doing. So you kind of approached from going from a shy kid, as you were explaining, to just, I mean, if anyone sees you like on TV, even you just exude confidence. So like from A to B at that point, did it start just because you almost took it like an an acting role like yourself? Yes. You know, because I had to figure out something I could control, right? You know, when you first get into the sales business or any business, really, you're nervous, like you're freaked out. I'm not going to do well. My boss is going to fire me. I'm, you know, everyone else is better than me. And I had all of those feelings. And I had no confidence in what I was doing because I'd never done it before. I'd never rented someone in an apartment and taken their financial information. I'd never sold an apartment before. I was dealing with money that made no sense to me because I'd never had it before. So it was important for me to try to figure out what I could control at that stage in my life. And what I could control was what I knew. And so I would go on these broker tours and I would watch other real estate brokers give tours. And because they'd been in the business for 10, 20 years, they didn't really know everything about the building or the block or the neighborhood, but they really rested on their confidence because they had done a lot of deals. Like that's what they knew. So I didn't have that. But what I had was the ability to memorize information because I had spent my whole life trying to be an actor. 
so I could memorize information really, really well. So what I told myself was, listen, I'm going to rely on what I know. And no one is going to say, wow, you're too new to this business or you're too young because I'm going to know more than anybody else. And so I would memorize as much as I possibly could about the building I was going to show, the block that I was going to be on. I do my research on that entire neighborhood so that no one would ever look at me like a young kid doing business. Like I could tell you that on the corner of like 12th Street downtown and Fifth Avenue, that building on the corner has 142 units in it. It was built in 1911, right? And the super's name is Tony. Like (laughs) that was good information for me to have that all I had to do was figure it out and memorize it. And that was then my confidence. So that's what helped me balance out that seesaw. At what point did you realize that, hey, this might actually be something more than just a side gig? Yesterday. (laughs) I mean, I could tell you about every deal I've ever done. But it took years of doing them over and over before I really figured out, you know what, maybe this thing is going to work. Like even after Million Dollar Listing started, like I got cast on Million Dollar Listing in 2010. We filmed the whole first season in 2011. I almost died because I was so stressed out the whole time. And then it came out in 2012. And even then, the market was so terrible. It was so hard. I still didn't know, like, was I going to do this the rest of my life? Was this really going to be my thing? Even when you were on TV doing it? Yeah, because the show hadn't come out yet. And I was still trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Maybe I went back and got my master's. I don't know. I was still, I came to New York to do theater and I hand modeled a little bit. Now all of a sudden I'm selling real (laughs) estate on TV. Like this was not the plan, (laughs) but it kind of was the plan in a weird backwards way. Like there is no path, right? That's why I try to say yes to as much as possible. And you figure out the path along the way. You know, when people ask me like what what like kind of mindset I had going into this business, I really think back to when I was a little kid and I, I made the decision when I was a little kid to be successful. And hopefully it would be through acting because I think I could be the next Brad Pitt. Clearly it didn't work out. Yeah. And it ended up being as a real estate agent and a real estate agent who's on reality TV. But I chose success first and let the career come second. A lot of people have problems and they get depressed and they move out of a city or they call their parents every day crying because they chose a career first and success second. And when that one career doesn't happen or doesn't happen the way you think it is, then it's not a speed bump. People treat it like a brick wall. But speed bumps are there for a reason. And maybe you go down a different road. Maybe you figure something else out. And everyone can be a great salesperson if they really think back to, like, everything they learned when they were in fourth grade. How do you mean? Meaning that, like, in fourth grade, third grade, fifth grade, you learn to share. You learn to talk to the person next to you. You learn to talk to the girl for the first time or the boy for the first time. You know, you learn deadlines for homework. You learn everything that is intrinsic in being a good business person when you're 8, 9, 10, 11 years old. And holding on to those attributes and as well as kind of pushing out your personality as much as you can makes you a good salesperson. You're talking about million-dollar listing. How, how did you end up on that show in the first place? Mm. How did I end up on million-dollar listing? I went to an open casting call in March of 2010 with 3,000 real estate agents at the Hudson Hotel. And they picked three. At that point, were you even like, did you feel qualified to be on the show as like a- No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. But I like I went into the audition on that fear side of the, the seesaw really hard, like scared shitless that like, what am I doing? How am I going to do this? Until I saw all these people. And then I said, you know what? I've been in front of cameras before. I've done 
some TV before. I was Dr. Evan Walsh IV on As the World Turns. I can do reality <laughs> TV. Um, I, I might not be the best real estate agent. I might not have the resume that all these other people do. But I'm going to flip that seesaw over and I'm going to ride the confidence side for a heartbeat here. And that's exactly, I think, what they wanted to see was someone who was like steadfast in their in their belief. So I just went in there and sold myself hard and then they bought it. And, it was, and here I am. So you played the role of being one of the best agents in uh, in the city and yeah. then it just kind of led to it? Yeah. I mean, I think they asked me like, who's the best real estate agent? And I think my answer literally was you're looking at him. <laughs> not necessarily true, but also not untrue. Like I can believe that I'm the best and no one who's going to tell me, you know, this, who's going to tell me something else. It's really going to come down to to kind of the way I portray myself, right? It's it's like that classic um, PR story of, you know, that advertising is now dead and PR rules the world of promotion. And so if if I scream my own success from a mountaintop, people will hear it. And that's how you'll build your persona, your personality, your career that way. And growing into this role, even now being on TV, is there ever a chance that you would lose yourself in a role where it lacks some authenticity? As a salesperson? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I think I, I used the skills that I learned in improv in acting school and in college to to build my personality. You know, and when I say build my personality, I don't want people to think that I created like a fake persona to go out and sell. What I mean is that I was shy and overweight and I really liked watching movies in my apartment by myself. And I didn't want to go out and talk to people because people made me nervous. <laughs> but because I had to, because my back was up against a wall and I needed to make money and real estate was now my the thing that I was going to do because a friend told me to do it, I had to improvise. I had to be okay with going outside and talking to people on the street and talking to people in Starbucks and meeting strangers and showing them apartments I'd never seen before. And I had to figure it out. And you do that by saying yes. You do that by kind of putting on a protective shield a little bit and not going out there as the Ryan who just wanted to Netflix and chill, but the <laughs> Ryan who is going to be an awesome salesperson today who can Netflix and chill a little bit later. Can you tell me about this phone call that you had with your brother that you, oh, yeah. you had talked about before? You yeah. did read the book. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so that was kind of an aha moment for me. Because the first couple of years in, in the real estate business in New York City are, are terrible. Like you make no money. And there was this one guy in the office who was crushing it like every day. And he was about my age, right? And he just did so well and I had no idea how he did it because we were basically like the same person. And I thought, well, I went to a better school. I did this. I did that. Why is this guy so much better and why do I suck? And I stepped out on the fire escape and I called my older brother one day. I think this was in like 2009. And I was like, you know what? This sucks. I want to quit. I, this, I, I shouldn't be a real estate broker. I'm not from New York. I just gave him every single excuse possible. And what I really remember from that phone call was him saying to me, stop being such a little bitch. If he can do it, you can do it. Stop wasting my time. Go out and work harder. And I was like, wait, what? Why? Can you make me feel better for like one second here? <laughs> That's why I called you. And he did not make me feel better whatsoever. But, you know, I have that kind of thing that he said to me ringing in my ears all the time, you know, which is, and I know it's a little profane, but him saying to me, stop being such a little bitch, reminded me that I was crying and giving excuses for something that I could just take care of on my own. 
Um, and that really woke me up to figuring out kind of how to build a career instead of just having a job where I was showing apartments. I think a lot of people, when they think of just salespeople, they think of like the used car salesman or they mm-hmm. think of the the monorail guy from The Simpsons. Yes. Kind of like just selling you something you don't want. By the end, you feel tricked. And it's all about just flattery and fakery. I think every business has some stereotype, you know, whether you're an attorney or a banker or a doctor. There's some negative stereotype that goes with it. So a lot of salespeople are like that. They put on their salesperson's hat and they just sell, 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 which can work here and there. But it's not going to work in the long term because you'll build bad relationships. But, you know, sales isn't about pushing. It's not about convincing somebody, right, which is what used car salesman and the Simpsons character kind of make you think. It's like what a good salesperson is able to do is to assure someone of a choice that they were going to make anyway or of a choice that they should make because it's better for them than an alternative choice. You know, even if it's selling shoes, like you went in there to buy a $100 pair of shoes and you you want to start running on the West Side Highway because that's what your friends do, the salesperson could just sell them to you. He could take you to the $200 pair of shoes and sell you those because those are more expensive. Or he could say, have you run before? And you might say, no. He said, okay, well, the $100 pair of shoes here are for more advanced runners. They don't have much of a sole. There's a $125 pair and a $150 pair that have a more cushion to them. And this is what more first-time runners wear. But it's up to you. Now you all of a sudden kind of feel assured in your decision to spend a little bit more money. So the salesperson did their job as a salesperson. But you're also making a purchase that's probably better for your knees. Better for your ankles, better for your Achilles tendon because the salesperson assured you of a choice that you were going to make anyway, but a better one, right? Like that's what a good salesperson should do. And on my other show on Bravo, Sell Like Sirhan, that was so hard to teach people because they would come into the store every day with their salesperson hat on and they just wanted to sell, 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 sell when it's really not about that. How did you learn to be a leader? Through failure, through like terrible terrible management skills because because at this point hadn't you only just started to figure yourself out yeah i think you know i saw that as a manager and as a leader you know people what they really want is two things they want business everyone wants to succeed so i needed to help my team get business and succeed the same way a football team can exist if the quarterback doesn't throw the ball somewhere right and i needed to be a nice person Like I saw teams that failed and companies that failed because they're run by people who were just dicks and they just were mean. And I kind of took, what do you call it? What's that, what's that saying? Like do unto others as you wish they would do unto you. What is that? Yeah, the golden rule. Yeah, the golden rule, right? Um, Like that's, that's the best leadership advice I could give to anybody, right? Otherwise people don't want to work for you. And there's so many places people can go to work. Like they don't need to work for you. There's, there's a lot of places to go. And so as long as I was putting business out there, working harder than everyone who works for me so that I could lead by example and practice the golden rule, my team just slowly, naturally started to build. And then having a TV presence, I would imagine that that can be seen as kind of like a running ad for your business and for your team's business. But on the other hand, I would imagine that at some points it could work against you if someone would be like, oh, this is just the guy from TV. Yeah. I mean, that's I have to pitch against that attitude every single day. You know, I mean, Million Dollar Listing helped me open doors, but it didn't open any doors. It wasn't like the show came out and then all of New York City called me to list or 
help them buy an apartment. I mean, when was the last time you picked up the phone and called the Kardashians? Like, it doesn't, <laughs> you don't do that, right? Because they're on TV. And so that's what I thought was going to happen. Did yeah. not happen whatsoever. But it helped me <laughs> open doors by being able to say, listen, I'm a real estate agent and I think I'm pretty good at what I do. Also, I'm on a television show that airs to 25 million people around the world. I would love to meet you to talk about selling your home. And some people, not all, but some people would then add me into the mix. And I still had to do my thing when I was in the room. I still had to pitch really hard. And the show is a great kind of uh, advertisement for me. But by the time it comes out, everything that we've put on on there has either sold or not sold. So it's not like Million Dollar Listing helps me sell individual properties. It helps me build my business so that I can better sell the properties that I have today. Why do you think that your team has become so successful in this market? We are very disciplined, honestly. I think we're we're probably the most disciplined team out there. You know, I I think I can be very, very tough, but I trust everyone to do their job or they can't work for me. So everyone who's on my team is relentless and incredibly aggressive and also very empathetic and they're all great people. And so we work incredibly hard, but we have very, very strong discipline. We're not just real estate agents who list a property, hope to sell it, maybe get another one, hope to sell it. It's almost kind of like a, a military aspect to it, right? Which works for us. I saw that uh, last year, the magazine, The Real Deal, it was saying that uh, after a few employees left your team, they were trying to connect it to rumors that maybe your TV career was getting in the way with your team. How do you respond to that? Um, my TV career last year did get in the way a little bit because, I mean, 2017, I filmed one season of Million Dollar Listing. I filmed an entire season of Sell It Like Sirhan, which took a lot of time, and I wrote a book all at the same time. And it was tough on certain members of the team who were used to me being around a lot more. And so those people who wanted me to be there every single day decided to go and do their own thing, which is fine. Yeah. So, um, uh, but it was just, I think the real deal caught on to like a couple of them left at the same exact time, which for me, like just opens up desks, to be honest. And it opened up finding greater new talent. And now, like I can't imagine my team without those new people that I now have who've helped me grow my business exponentially. And I still sold more than anybody else last year. So, you know, that's that's kind of that discipline that I built into the team that like it's not surviving or succeeding based on any one person, right? It's everyone working together to sell as much as possible. Have you found a way to balance doing, as you say, it's kind of like juggling, like having so many things at once? Yeah, it's the power of leverage, right? It's the power of leverage and trusting people to do what they're supposed to do. And, you know, I remember five years ago, six years ago, something like that, as my business was really starting to take off, I was super stressed out. I was busy, 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 busy. And I think I was complaining to my wife, Amelia, who was my girlfriend at the time, and just saying, like, I, I, I can't just do this right now. I'm so busy, 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 busy. And she was like, you know what? You say that all the time. You know who's busy? Obama. You're a real <laughs> estate agent. You're not that busy. And when people say they're busy, it just means that they're really bad at time management. I know people say that all the time, but it really is true. And they try to do too much by themselves, which is what I was trying to do because I thought that's what I was supposed to do. And so I brought in more admin staff. So my team alone has six admin staff members who just help my team. No other real estate team has that. And I really, really leveraged myself onto my team members and really pushed them to be better than I am. And really brought in team members too who were who were honestly better than me, so that 
they were able to do the things that I could do just happened to be better. So that way I could do the TV shows and spend the time to write a book so that without business failing. So that's almost like the other side of your lesson of always say yes. Yeah, well, it's say yes to to help, right? Okay. Say yes yeah. to help. A lot of people in my situation, and you see it too with the other guys on the show, they do a lot by themselves. And then they're busy all the time. And then when they decide to go on vacation, all business stops. Like, that's not what I want. When I'm away, I want more things to sell, right? That's like what a good boss creates within any kind of company. Um, And so I really kind of said yes to leveraging myself, said yes to letting go, right? Said yes to bringing on more business and figuring out how to do it later. Like, that's really been a key to my success over the last 10 years has been like saying yes to business that I didn't know how I was going to handle and figuring it out. We talked about, like, at that point, how you define success when you were desperate. Well, at this point, when you're at the peak of your success, how do you define it now? You know, now I define success by, by hitting goals that I set for myself. And it's not about money, right? It's not about lifestyle. It's not about building a bigger team or anything. It's that I set goals for myself and I write them down every year. And if I hit those goals, I've been successful that year. If I don't hit those goals, then I have failed that year. That way, success isn't this big lofty thing that's up there in the clouds. And, you know, it's not just like, oh, I want to be a billionaire. Like that's, that's stupid, right? That's, there's no plan of action that's, that's set there. There's nothing that drives me crazier than someone who comes to me and says, yo, I'm an entrepreneur. This is what I do. This is what I sell. I sell this. I do this. this is, I'm building this company. I'm like, okay, what did you do last week? And they're like, well, I was in the Hamptons last week, played golf on Sunday, but like Monday through Friday? No, no, no. Like if you want to build your own business, you do it seven days a week. I did not take a single day off for three years. And it's easy for me to say now, really, really hard to do. And it's really hard for a lot of people to do as well. So you have to figure out what you really, really want and stick to it. The other thing I would say is, you don't have to do it by yourself when you start. That's probably a mistake that I made. I think I would have grown faster. But I started by myself because I didn't stick. I didn't have that stick to to real estate. I didn't really know that that's what I wanted to do. It was kind of weird. I didn't see myself as being a real estate broker. I didn't even like real estate brokers. Um, and so I was doing other things at the same time. If I had maybe worked on someone else's team, if I had maybe worked for another company, if I had maybe learned by watching successful people do what they do instead of just trying by myself to do it, um, it would have been better. Well, thank you so much, Ryan. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to This Is Success from Business Insider. We have one more inside fact about Ryan Serhan to share with you. But first, our show is produced by Anna Mazarakis and Sarah Wyman. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer and I'm Rich Filoni. If you like our show, there's something you can do to really help us out. Take just a second and give us a rating and leave us a review to tell us what you think about the show. Both of these help new people find the series, which lets us keep making great episodes for you. Before you go, we asked Ryan Serhan to tell us a fun fact about himself, something most people probably don't know. When I first came to New York City, I was on a soap opera. I did As the World Turns. Uh, I was Evan Walsh IV. What most people don't know which is kind of weird as to how my life has turned out, is I got on that show by winning an internet reality TV show called In Turn. 
and it was on CBS.com. And I auditioned for this internet reality show to find the next soap star where they took 12 actors into a loft in Brooklyn and we had to fight to the death every day through some sort of audition, like the dying audition, the crying audition, the love scene audition. And somehow I made it to the end and I won and it was on the internet and that's how I got onto that show. And then years later, I find myself as a real estate agent who's back on reality TV. (laughs) I'll be back in two weeks with another episode of This Is Success. Next week, you're going to get something a little bit different in your feed. It's going to be the first episode of Business Insider's new podcast, Household Name. Here's a quick preview. Big brands are a huge part of our everyday lives. We depend on them to put food on the table, clothes on our backs, and to get us where we need to go. Brands you can trust. McDonald's Big Mac. Only Starbucks. And yet there's so much we don't know about these brands. TGI Friday has played a significant role in the precipice of the sexual revolution. I think that Pizza Hut ad is a turning point in Trump's career. From Business Insider and Stitcher, this is Household Name. I'm Dan Bobkoff, and I'm on a mission to find out how our biggest household name brands have changed our lives, for better or worse. I just damn near died. We were so moved, so full of hope. And I remember crying. Oh my gosh. Whoa! The brands you know, the stories you don't. Household Name premieres July 25th. Subscribe now on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen.